Okay, so we've been in a series entitled Sent, walking through the book of Acts together. If you have a copy of the scriptures or you have your phone with the app, the scripture's preloaded there. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and as you're turning there, let me give a little bit of backdrop for where we've been. We started the second missionary journey last week at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. Paul takes a new team and begins to journey across Asia Minor, and you remember the no, no, wait, and go. Uh, They crossed the Aegean Sea over into Macedonia onto a brand new continent for the gospel, the continent of Europe, and they began began proclaiming Jesus there. And that's where we'll catch up in the story here in the middle of Acts chapter 16. So they they begin to talk about Jesus, they begin to lift up the gospel, they begin to perform miracles in the name of Jesus. And just like is the case all throughout the book of Acts, as the gospel is advanced, what happens? You guys remember As the gospel goes forth all throughout the book of Acts, we've seen this happen. Opposition does what? It arises and it comes against the advancement of the gospel. Anytime you're living for Jesus, anytime you're lifting up Jesus and and advancing the gospel, you can expect the enemy to oppose. And he does here on the continent of Macedonia as well. As they begin to preach Jesus and perform miracles, demonstrate the power of Jesus, opposition arises. But just like we've seen all throughout the book of Acts, God makes a way. God rescues and allows his people, his church, to advance the gospel in spite of the opposition. So as we get here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16 to Macedonia, they go to a place called Philippi, and they began to preach the gospel there. And actually, they demonstrate the power of Christ in a young woman who was demon-possessed, and they deliver her from that, and they're arrested. They're thrown into prison. And in the middle of the night, some of you may remember this story, Paul and Silas are in a Philippian prison, and they're doing what? They're singing and they're praying. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that the Lord sends an earthquake and their shackles are, are, are loosened, they're free, they're broken, and the doors fling open to the prison. And the, a Philippian uh, jailer comes running in thinking that all the prisoners have escaped and he's going to take his life because in that time, if you were a jailer and you lost your prisoners, it would mean the end of your own life. And Paul hollers out, don't do it. Stop. We're all here. And talk about Christian leadership. It's one thing to lead, uh, to, to, to lead and to, to live in front of, of people who are believers and, and influence them. This is a group of, of, of prisoners that Paul and Silas have convinced to stay in the prison. Even after their shackles have been loosed and the doors are flung open. And they're there worshiping. And then the Philippian jailer out of this moment in Acts 16, as all the prisoners are still there with the doors wide open, he asked the most important question that any of us can ever ask in our lives. You ready for it? Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. Right in that moment, the Philippian jailer pulls Paul and Silas aside and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul steps right up to the plate in verse 31 and says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, and all of your oikos, all of your household, your circle of influence as well. And the Bible says that from there they went to the Philippian jailer's home, and they proclaimed Jesus, and all of his household believed in Jesus, and they rejoiced greatly because God had come into that home. And that's our prayer for every single family, every single person in this church and across this city and the world, that they would meet Jesus and that we would rejoice for all that God has done through Christ. Let me say this another way. 
as you're communicating the gospel of Jesus to other people in your life, or the gospel of Jesus to your own heart today. For those of you who are seeking to know God, but you haven't accepted Christ, let me summarize what Paul said to this Philippian jailer in this way. Very simply, A, B, C. You ready? A, B, C. Admit that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. Our journey with Christ begins with our admission that we're not going to make it on our own. That left unto ourselves, we fall short of God's standard. What is God's standard, brothers and sisters? Holiness, perfection, 100%. I'm not going to do the test again, but how many of you are perfect people? You don't have to raise your hand. There's always one. None of you are perfect. Spoiler alert. None of you meet God's standard. So what are we going to do about that? Something has to be done about that. And many of us think that we have to do something about that, but actually it's what God has done for us. It begins with A, though, admitting that we're a sinner in need of God's grace, that there's a gap between us and God because of our choices and because of our nature. But then B, letter B, A, B, C, right? Admit, but believe. B is believe. What we see happen right here in Acts chapter 16, believe in the Lord Jesus, that he alone is sufficient. We've talked about this all the way through our journey in the book of Acts, that Christ is enough. And and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Jesus is enough. You don't have to add anything else to the completed work of the cross. Believe in Jesus. Trust in him. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in other people. Stop trusting in different philosophies and simply trust and believe in Christ. And then finally, C, commit. Commit to following Jesus with all of your life, not just part of your life, not just on the weekends, but all of your life, every day of the week, in your business, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, in everything you follow Christ. The word here is repent. And that's an old church word, but it's a great word. And actually, Paul uses it here in our passage today in Acts 17. The word repent means to turn, to change, to stop following ourselves or other people and start to follow Jesus, to come and follow him. We admit that we're sinners in need of God's grace, A. B, we believe in Jesus, that he's enough. We trust in him for salvation. And then C, we commit all of our lives to following after him. That's what happens here in Acts 16 with the Philippian jailer and his family. And it happens all throughout the book of Acts. And it's happening still today because of Christ. But as the message of Jesus is proclaimed in this way, opposition does what? It arises It comes against the gospel. If you're living for Jesus, friends, you can expect opposition. And that happens here in our passage today, beginning in Acts chapter 16. As Paul and his team are in Philippi, there's opposition. They go on to a place called Thessalonica, there's opposition. They go to Berea, and guess what's waiting for them there? Opposition. You got it right. The team is concerned for Paul in Berea, so they send him ahead to a city called Athens. And that's what we're going to catch up with with Paul today in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. And I'm going to read just the first few verses here as Paul is in the city of Athens, the city of Socrates, if you will, this very important place that the gospel needs to come into, and Paul is going to make a way. Beginning in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, the word of God to you today. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, waiting for for whom? He was waiting for his team, for, for Luke and for Silas and Timothy and others to catch up with him in Athens. While he's waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full 
of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. Jesus is strange to those who haven't heard before. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing else except telling or hearing something new. The city of Athens was the capital city of Greece. It was their most prominent, most important city. And although when Paul reaches Athens in Acts 17 here in our passage, the city is in, the, in decline, it's still a very important city. To put it bluntly, Athens was a living museum of Greek culture. It was the holder of what they valued most, art and drama and philosophy and education. And as such, the gospel needed to have a foothold in this place. And God wanted that to happen through Paul and his team. The Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were a big part of this story, and Luke mentions it here in our text. Because there was a major university in the city of Athens, there were a lot of academicians there, lots of philosophers, lots of teachers, and they begin to converse with the Apostle Paul. And Paul begins to look around the city, and as he looks at the city, this, this city that's the holder of, of Greek culture, that's this very prominent place, this place of education, you know what he sees? He sees a bunch of spiritual people who are missing the mark of Jesus, who haven't heard the gospel of Christ, who don't know that Jesus is enough. And when we don't know that Jesus is enough, we try to find our, our value and what is enough in everything else in our lives. And so the people of Athens, the people of Athens, Paul says, they're spiritual, they're religious people. But yet they're finding their spirituality, the object of their faith, if you will, is all these different idols that are man-made, and especially their own philosophies. The, the epitome, the, 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 the pinnacle of, of, of Greek philosophy was this idea of materialism and pleasure. So in other words, what you could taste and see and feel, all that was material in this wor world and achieving the, the, the most amount of pleasure in this life. That was their chief goal. That's what they wanted most in everything. And so look at verse 16 in Acts chapter 17. We'll get an insight to the people of Athens here in our text. While Paul was waiting for them, waiting for the team at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him because he saw that the city was full of idols. The, the, the Greek word there for provoked means intense troubling. Have you ever walked into a place before and you've just felt troubled in your spirit? You, you, you've sensed the darkness spiritually around you. You ever walked into a country, for those of you who have been in a foreign mission field sometimes where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed, you'll walk and you'll just step foot in that territory and there's a darkness. There's an oppression there. Some places in our city, some places that you frequent, that, that there's, when you go there, you feel the oppression spiritually. That's, that's the word that's used here in the Greek. This was an educated people, a spiritual people, but it was a city of darkness because they hadn't seen and understood the light that only comes through Christ. There are many similarities from Athens in Acts 17 to Charlotte today. 
You may not know this, but in the most recent survey uh, about spiritual matters in our own city, a city of two million plus now in the greater Charlotte area, the responses of people may surprise you. It's called the the rise of the nuns, the people that would say, I'm non-religious. So I'm spiritual, yes, I'm spiritual, but I do not want to claim to be a part of any religious grouping, including Christianity. And you may be surprised to learn today that in the recent surveys in our own city, the the hometown of Billy Graham, the the, the buckle of the Bible belt, that uh, the the nons in our city, those who would say, I I don't affiliate with any particular religion, the nons outnumber evangelicals, those who would say Jesus is enough in the way to salvation, they outnumber evangelicals two to one in the city of Charlotte. And that's true across our country. The Athenians wanted to know something that was new, our text says. Don't you see that in our own city and across our nation and world? People chasing after something new. Tell us the latest book, the latest teaching, the latest blog post. We want to know something new. When you haven't received the gift of new life in Christ, you're constantly looking for something new in your life. Maybe I'll find what I'm looking for uh, in, in a financial situation. If I get enough money, then I'll find what I'm looking for in a new job, in a, in a new relationship with a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, a new, a new city, a new situation. If I can just find something new in this life, then, then that'll be enough to fill the hole in my heart. And it's never enough, is it? Because there's nothing in this world that will ever fill your heart. Because your heart was created to be filled with a relationship with God through Christ. And when it's not filled with Christ, you try to fill it with all kinds of different things. And many of us have journeyed this way, haven't we? Some of us still are today. We're filling our hearts and our lives with all kinds of different idols, all sorts of different gods. Sometimes it's the God of our own children, our family, our career, whatever that might look like for you. It'll never be enough. There's only one thing new that will ever be enough in your life, and it's the new life of Christ. The Athenians were constantly wanting to hear something new. Look at verse 21. They wanted to gather together to to hear this new teaching, to to understand, because because they constantly are looking for something in their life that they haven't found through their previous spiritual endeavors. So they bring the Apostle Paul to a place called the Areopagus, It was a gathering place in Athens where the philosophers and leading educators of that day would gather and debate and talk philosophy and the the latest and greatest new things. And they bring Paul there to preach Jesus. And so I put this in my notes that the Areopagus is about to meet Jesus. And that's the next text here that we're going to walk through. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. So let's read it together. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. I'm going to read it to you. How about that? This is going to get too confusing if we try to do this whole thing together. We're going to get off really quickly. So follow along with me, beginning in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the object of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Listen to these words. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, 
except he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's hitting them right in the gut here. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere, including Athens, to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection proves that the gospel is true. Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. This is a very important text. All the scriptures are important. This is particularly important in informing us about how we engage a, 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 um, a growing secularized city and culture in our own hearts as well. As, as the nons in our own city rise, and in, the own, in our own non-hearts at times that, that, that refuse to believe the exclusive claims of Jesus, Pastor Tim Keller says that Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34, which you just heard read following along with me, is the model of how to engage our own hearts and the hearts of our city and world that are growing in their coldness towards the exclusive message of Christ. So Keller suggests this is an application of how to engage. And he suggested as three answers of which, by which to engage our culture and our world and our own hearts. And here are the three answers. And if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to, to write these down and maybe jot down some notes. If you're following on the app, the outline's there and you can, you can uh, type some notes in as well. Tim Keller suggests this passage as, as, again, the model of how to engage. And he says three things here. Yes. That's the first way we engage our city and world with the gospel, the exclusive message of Christ. And even in our own hearts, it's yes, but no. Secondly, but no. And then thirdly, but yes. Yes, but no, but yes. Let me explain. In this passage, first and foremost, Paul begins by affirming the Athenians' spiritual journey and quest. What do I mean by that? These were spiritual people. What does Luke record here? They were very religious. It was a city full of idols. Religiosity is, 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 is not their problem. In other words, they seek God. They're religious. They're spiritual. They're, they're, they're desiring to understand who God is and, 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 and understand what he's like. And so Paul begins by affirming their spiritual journey. He, he affirms them in their quest to know who God is. Oftentimes, people who are outside the faith of Christ they think that we begin, and sometimes we do, by saying no. 
They just think we're against everything. And, and what they hear first and foremost from some of us sometimes is the word no first. And, and, and Keller says, when we look at this passage, what Paul does brilliantly is to begin with yes. What can we affirm about your spiritual journey? What can we can, uh, affirm about this desire in your heart to know God? Because God has created us with a hole that can only be filled by him. And when it's not filled by Christ, we'll look in all kinds of directions. So why should we be surprised, gang? Why should we be surprised when people around us are spiritual, but they haven't found Jesus yet? They're looking, they're desiring to understand. So don't begin with no, begin by affirming your desire and your quest to know God and affirming their desire and quest to understand and to know God. Paul gives no less than five affirmations in our text about things that they're seeking after that, that he would say are right. These are affirmations. This is right, including two quotes from their own poet, two quotes from their own philosophers. Look at verse 28. Paul says, you know, as your own poets say, and he's quoting to them the, the, the famous inscriptions and, and, and um, poets and things that they would have known culturally. In other words, I would equate it now in the 21st century does as a top 40 hit. So the apostle Paul is saying, as you sing about, as you write about, as you read about on the New York Times bestseller, let me, let me affirm those things. So, so what does this say to us about the Apostle Paul, and what does it inform us about in our own journey as we, as we witness and we go forward as we're sent out to our own city and world? You got to know what? You got to know your culture. You got to know people. You know, we, we talked about last week that waiting time isn't wasted time. Look at verse 16, how this whole thing begins in Athens. Paul was doing what? Waiting. He's waiting on his team to catch up with him in Athens. And while he's waiting, what does he do? He takes the opportunity to get to know the city of Athens. He walks around and sees all of their places of worship, their temples, their idols, their people. He looks at the inscriptions. He exegetes the culture, if you will. He understands the people. He knows what they're reading. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what their hopes are, their dreams are, their desires, their fears. He knows everything about them because he's about to introduce them to Jesus through those longings and desires. Tim Keller says this as well. This is Tim Keller Day, which it's not a bad thing. He says this about evangelism. He says, um, most of us do evangelism this way, evangelism being the way that we tell other people about Jesus. He says, for most Christians, evangelism is this. I'm right, and you're wrong, and I'd love to tell you more about that. <laughs> I'm right, and you're wrong, and I'd love to tell you more about that. And what we see here in Acts 17 is not that at all, is it? It's Paul coming in and knowing the people and saying, some of these things you're doing are so great. It's wonderful that you're seeking after God. And he agrees with them where he can agree with them. He finds stepping stones to point them to the gospel. Billy Graham used to, uh, famously said, uh, I prepare all my messages with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. I want to take the timeless truth of God in the scriptures, but I also want to know what people are wrestling with and struggling with in their everyday lives, because the gospel speaks to and informs every single one of those dreams and hopes and desires. So it begins with yes, but secondly, no. Uh, Paul contradicts what they believe about God, and actually he takes their affirmations and turns them around into contradictions, the way that they're con contradicting themselves you've built all these temples, you've, you've constructed all these idols to, this, to these gods that are above and transcended and, and that you think control your life, and yet you think they actually live in these places that you've constructed. How does that work? 
You think these gods are above you and in control of your life, and yet they're, they're made in these gold and silver images that you've fashioned. They live in these places that you've put together. Does God need you? Does God need you to serve him? What kind of God is that that needs you? So, so Paul uses the, his affirmations and then turns that and says, actually, all of the ways that you're seeking after God, those are good, but they, fall, they all fall short. They, they miss the mark. And every other world religion and philosophy does. Because here's the deal. Everybody watch this. Every other world religion and philosophy in one form or fashion, all roads lead back to who? You. You got to do something. You got to think something. You got to act a certain way. You got to give a certain amount. You've got to do something to convince God that you are worthy to be loved. And so Paul wants to point that out here, and he does in verse 29. Uh, look, look at it with me. He says, being God's offspring, in other words, God created us, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by, he's hitting them right in the gut here, because they're artisans. They love the idea of this that are formed by your art and imagination. In other words, you didn't create God. He created and made you. And what was the first sin when sin entered into the world in Genesis 3? Eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. And it's the same lie that the enemy has been using ever since, that you think you're a God, and that you're going to create other people and things into your image. And Paul says, this falls woefully short. So he actually uses the affirmation to say, but no, your spirituality and your religiosity falls short. And then thirdly, but yes. Yes, but no, but yes. Look at verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere. What does all mean? All means all, and that's all means. All people everywhere to repent, there's our word, to change, to turn. Look at verse 31, because he, God alone, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, in perfection, and it's by a man, Jesus, whom he appointed. And of this he has given assurance. He's, he's told us this is true by raising him from the dead. In other words, Paul says the resurrection of Jesus proves that Jesus is better that Jesus is enough, that he is actually the answer to all of your quests and your seeking. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Not religiosity, not churchianity, Christianity, Christ alone. And Paul says, actually, you're seeking, you Athenians, your seeking actually proves that there was a God who sought after you. As, as C.S. Lewis uh, famously said in Mere Christianity, if the world had no meaning, you never should have found out about it. If the world doesn't have any meaning, if there's no value or understanding, how did you ever find out about it? Because you were made to know meaning. You were made to know value. Where did that come from? By a creator who made you and loves you and wants to be in relationship with you. There's a desire in your heart that can only be filled by God. A meaning, a purpose, a value that can only come through Christ. So Paul says, but yes, yes to your quest, but no to the ways you're living it out but yes to Jesus. Yes to the resurrection and how God has made a way for you. Look at the bottom line here, verse 27. We'll use this passage as our bottom line. Truth today as we leave. Paul says that all mankind, right, should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Listen to these words. 
yet he is actually not far from each one of us. If you feel like you're far from God today, maybe more importantly, if you feel like God is far from you today, your feelings are lying to you, and they'll do that. The truth is that God is close to you, that God wants to be found by you. The truth of the gospel is this, friends, that you didn't find God. God found you. Every other world religion says that you've got to go on a quest to find God and prove your worth to God. Christianity alone, the gospel of Jesus alone says, God found you. God left heaven and came to you and died on the cross to pay for your sins that you might have right relationship with him. So let's put it all together here. Yes, it's right to acknowledge the unknown God. He is real, just as your poets have said. But no, no, you don't honor this God, the one true God, by creating idols made of silver or stone in your image and imagination. But yes, you can honor him by repenting today, by changing and turning and believing in Jesus Christ alone, the one that was raised from the dead. And the Bible says here in this passage as we finish up, verses 33 and 34, that some people in response to this message of Jesus, as Paul engaged his city and culture in that way in Athens, some people mocked him. And they'll do that today. But some people said, we want to hear more. We'll hear about this again from you. And that happens today too. And then other people, the Bible says here, believed. Dear friends, God is in management and we're in sales. It's not our job to draw people to God. God through the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit himself. God draws people to himself. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit that draws people to himself. Our job is to communicate Jesus, is to raise up Jesus for people to see clearly and boldly. And as the scriptures say, as Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. To him alone be the glory today. Amen. Let's pray together. For those of you here today, those of you listening today, who would say, I'm seeking God, I'm a religious person, but I've never accepted Christ. I've never understood what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. If it's the desire of your heart to know God through Christ, that you would pray this prayer. God, I believe today that you sent your son Jesus to die for me, to live a perfect and sinless life on my behalf. I admit today that I am a sinner, a person in need of your grace, that left unto myself and my vices, I'm not going to meet your standard of perfection. I admit that today. But I also believe today that Jesus has done it on my behalf. That he's made a way for me. So I trust him and believe him today. And I commit my life today to following after you, Jesus. In every area of my heart and my life, I commit to following after you. And I pray that every day, beginning today, that I would live my life not for myself, but for your glory and for your honor. And for those of you who are Christ followers, I would ask that you would just agree with this prayer as we close today. God, would you help us 
to learn from this passage, to learn from the Apostle Paul as he engaged a growing secularized culture that is very spiritual and religious, but does not know the exclusive claims of Christ. Would you help us to engage our culture, to affirm what we can affirm, but to show what's wrong when we need to, and ultimately to lift high Jesus because he's enough. To you alone be the glory today. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.